Hello and welcome back for another podcast episode of Isidu Magazine. My name is Emre Schentürk and today I'm going to talk about some general principles of political science. So, let's get it on. Politics is omnipresent. Basically, on an everyday basis, we are yeah, dealing with things that relate to politics, political processes, and we're influenced by it. I mean, our whole lives are basically guided and ruled by politics. What is oftentimes a bit of a problem is our relationship as citizens towards politicians. Um, we are dissatisfied with a lot of things in a lot of settings. We cannot make sense of a lot of things uh, oftentimes, not because citizens um, themselves cannot kind of process what is going on, but oftentimes politicians themselves are not very competent and um, especially in those situations, yeah, it leads to frustration when we deal or when we, when we um, interact with political um, phenomena and developments. This is something that is not new. I mean, we always tend to think that we have very hard times today and uh, back in the days it was better. And then we also have the other extreme of saying, yeah, today it's, it's the best time um, that mankind has ever experienced. So there is kind of an imbalanced relationship with our past. But if we neutrally look at how politics has developed um, and what we know from recorded history is that it has always been the same. You know, there was, there was always dissatisfaction and there was always some sort of overly optimistic views on politics. So the balance is, is kind of off. So it is very important that we have some certain um, yeah, principles when we deal with politics and um, apply them from a political scientist's perspective because in that field we have developed many many concepts and approaches and tools basically to dismantle certain informational structures that we can then use uh, to reevaluate the situations that we have in politics to have a clearer picture of what is going on shape our opinions um, or ideas according to those yeah, findings that we um, derive from applying those tools basically so this is very important that we have certain tools that we use and that we apply that is also the reason why i wrote my um, first political book it's called devlet available um, as a hardcover but also um, a little bit cheaper a soft cover version it's a, a bit of a different design as well as you um can guess I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of this work and I do think that it helps to understand politics from a wholly different perspective and it breaks kind of the bipolar structure of thinking in left and right which I so often criticize and have already uh, made a couple of episodes on um, this topic and here even though I'm applying or I'm basically creating a new state system or um, yeah, exploring new ways of how to how to build a state and how to develop a society. There are a lot of things that are already current, uh, yeah, state of the art, 
in politics. Um, it's also at some point explanatory of the current system because there are also deep diving critique on certain things. So it is a very interesting read. I can recommend it to you. Uh, links are down below and um, it is globally available. So if you want to have a look, um, just go for it. But let's now turn to the principles um, of political science. And I think the most important, or one of them, yeah, I mean, obviously I'm going to enlist the, uh, the most important points, but it is very, very central whenever we deal with politics and societal and also societal developments is that we are aware of our own bias. It is impossible to be unbiased and approach things in a 100% neutral and objective way. It is not possible, but being aware of that already improves your analysis extremely. So whenever you approach certain things is how do I intrinsically feel or how do I yeah, in, genuinely feel about this issue and why do I feel that way? And then you start to ask yourself questions which are very important. You might have a preference on a certain policy action or a certain development that you're encountering. And then you start asking yourself, why am I thinking like this? this? Did I think about this issue five or ten years ago the same way I think now? If so, why? And if not, why did it change? These are very important points in order to filter out how you view the world. And once you can do that, you will have the self-awareness to deal with the subject matter in a very efficient way. Because no matter what the outcome of your political analysis is in the end, you can say, I found this piece of information or I, I came to this result because I have this specific view of the world. It means that your result must not, be, uh, yeah, must not necessarily be true, but it kind of reflects some sort of the reality because your lens and your bias is real. It is a real thing that you view the world in that way. And if that is the outcome of viewing the things in this certain way, then it's also part of a reality because it is some sort of constructed, but it is part of the reality. It does not mean that it is the full truth, it's the ob uh, that it reflects the objective truth, but it's certainly because your bias is real, reflects uh, a certain fraction of this, of, of this ob objective truth. And that already is value, um, very valuable. So for example, if I'm analyzing the Ukraine conflict, and someone else with a, a different bias is analyzing the Ukraine conflict. We can both put our results on the table and discuss them and both reflect fractions of the objective truth because our biases are real. And because we are self-reflective and analyze these things by keeping our bias in mind and be aware that we are not uh, impartial in how we approach this matter, the analytical results are going to be purer and they're going to be more valuable than when you just ignore that, that you are uh, biased and just try to prove a point basically. Because then the bias kind of um, overwhelms you 
and um, yeah, is making your political analysis weaker. So being aware of the bias is very, uh, very important. Bias, prejudice, um, you name it. The way we view the world and being aware of how you do it um, is very essential. And then interestingly, you know what, uh, what happens once you start thinking that way? It kind of reduces your bias as well. Because in the end, by being so self-reflective of the way you view the world, you become more attentive to other views as well. Because you can objectify your own bias. And once you do that, and it becomes an object to you, you can objectify other biases as well. And then it makes fun. And then political analysis becomes very, very fun because you can apply different lenses to the same problem, basically arrive to different uh, conclusions, compare them, and then make an assessment, yeah, or kind of bring the puzzle together and come closer to the objective truth. And that is the beauty of Uh, the self-awareness when dealing with political matters. So this is very important. This is one of the main points um, to keep in mind, obviously. And then secondly, what is also very important is to always keep in mind that this world is basically ruled by interests. So nothing happens by chance. And we need to be, as political scientists, we need to be aware of that because Nothing ever is is a coincidence. No word just slipped out like that. I mean, can happen, obviously, but um, it doesn't happen that frequently. Written content that is being released, uh, media campaigns, and so on and so forth. Everything is carefully chosen. Not, I mean, they cannot be ca um, careful enough. Uh, politicians, uh, political groups... Um, and even corporations, lobbyists, and so on and so forth. Every political actor, they're very keen on putting the world's uh, words in the right places and yeah, making sure that they, uh, that they are understood, not only in, yeah, in linguistic terms, but also in action. So whenever policy actions kind of um, yeah, uh, go in a certain direction. So... Everything is very carefully chosen. Obviously, there can be miscalculations and so on and so forth, but that rarely happens. It does not happen as, as much as media tries to portray uh, things. Also, when, when politicians uh, frequently apologize, most of the things are very calculated. We need to be aware of that because they are very um, experienced and very ambitious people coming together with common goals, with normative uh, values that they are trying to protect and further. And therefore, coincidences um, do not happen in politics. Uh, I mean, there can be some kind of um, yeah, uh, miscalculations and so on and so forth, but this rarely happens. And as political scientists, being aware of that means that you always have to keep an eye on the interest of the political actors. What do they want to achieve? What is the obvious goal? And then what is the goal that could lay behind that? I mean, do the actions around that obvious goal that needs to be achieved match it or do they also fulfill other functions? 
you know where I'm getting at? So it means, let's say um, country A is taking a certain action. The obvious goal would be, let's say, to uh, improve the economy. But because there's so many different ways of improving the economy, the certain or you know, the specific set of actions taken by this country to improve the economy, does that set of actions solely serve the purpose of furthering the economy? Yeah. Is it the only thing that it serves or does it also have side effects? How grave are, the, uh, are those side effects? And then you start to analyze those side effects because then you might have a hint on the underlying interests of this country or the group that is behind uh, those policy actions, right? To Just to make it clear or clearer, uh, not to have it in very abstract terms, let's say uh, a country wants to improve a certain um, economic sector, let's say construction, yeah, the construction sector needs to be improved. And there are certain uh, public tenders where they have like big infrastructure um, projects and there certain uh, companies can apply and be part of those uh, processes to, to get the, the deal basically. That might be one way to, and the obvious goal behind that is to um, improve the infrastructure of the country. Okay, no problem with that. But the way how those public tenders are structured the structural way of how companies get those deals may hint you that they might enrich certain uh, oligarchic circles. For example, if it's a fair process and those companies who get um, to construct uh, those infrastructure uh, projects is very dispersed and makes sense and they give it to the um, best, um, yeah, um, to the company with the best conditions, then it makes perfect sense. Then you can say, okay, obviously the very obvious goal of improving the infrastructure was the only goal and there's no underlying motive. But if there's a side effect, as I said, you know, where they have like certain connections with, uh, with companies and this government is um, granting them those contracts, then you have an underlying interest and you can apply it to all other situations as well. So, Looking at the interests and the side effects that might arise from um, certain policy actions is very important in political science. And once you look at it, you can also anticipate certain things and uh, certain developments, um, which is also very interesting. Obviously, nobody's going to tell you their true intentions in no case. And this is very, uh, why should a politician do that? Why should parties do that or uh, lobbyists do that if those are um, goals that are not very in the interest of the society but rather self-enriching? They're not going to say it and therefore we need to uh, embark on an endeavor to look where those interests lay and we need to um, yeah, uh, uncover them, basically. And then finally, when we engage in political analysis, we need to be aware that we want to use political concepts and tools, but not be used by them. There are many, yeah, many useful tools 
and concepts and theories that we can utilize and that help us to understand things better because it kind of puts it into a framework where we can yeah, more comprehensively um, approach things. For example, and this is something I keep uh, coming back to, is for example the divide between left and, uh, and right. Um, yeah, redistributive and non-redistributive uh, policy making, for example. It helps us to kind of categorize certain things, but it is by, by far um, not sufficient to kind of place uh, yeah, certain courses of, of uh, policy action and policy making altogether. And if you are too much reliant on those concepts, like many laymen um, actually are, the problem is going to be in the end that those tools or those concepts are going to um, yeah, swallow you and you're going to be very limited in your thinking and you cannot move out um, of this thinking again. For example, we can take um, socialists, uh, communists, for example, who are very, or we can imagine someone who is very, very focused on this idea and this person is not going to be able to see um, yeah, what the policy options are, the analysis is going to be uh, very one-sided and the policy responses that arise from that, this is the most important uh, point, are going to be very predictable and not very tailored to the situation that we're in. Same goes for uh, fascist um, political views, uh, same goes for more yeah, neutrally approached concepts like democracy. The idea of democracy um, today is very different from what it actually entails and what democratic systems should actually be able to do. This is another reason why I wrote uh, Devlet because here I talk about um, yeah, many structural problems that contemporary democracies actually have because the concept became stronger than um, than the people who yeah actually um, want to apply it, so we need to be careful as political scientists to control and to contain those concepts and really just um, use them as tools and not as um, ends to um, to our analysis, and then we can apply different kind of tools because again I'm going to to reference my book here. The devletist system, for example, can work in a monarchy, it can work in an uh, aristocracy, and it can, and it can work um, within a democracy. There is no qualitative um, distinction or there is no hierarchy between those three modes of, of governance. And therefore, we can neutrally approach them. It might be that we in, in the future have, again, an international um, landscape of states where monarchies or aristocracy, uh, aristocracies are going to be more prominent than, for example, uh, democratic systems. We don't know it. And because of that, we need to be open to discuss those things and approach things um, with the open mind that those concepts are not here to stay forever and they are just limited in um, their utility and where the utility of one concept ends um, the utility of or usefulness of the other begins and we need to 
use them as well. So it's like having uh, many children and having a favorite one of them. This is not going to happen. It's not going to work. It's um, not a fair approach. So all the tools that we have as political scientists, they need to be approached with a certain amount of fairness and the eye for what is utilized best. Another prominent example would be um, international relations theory. There are, for example, the concepts of realism and liberalism or social constructivism. I mean, there are scholars who stick to one school of thought and apply this lens to, to all scenarios, but this is not going to work. Um, rather, it is a mix mixture of all three and uh, many other lenses as well. And occasionally one is um, yeah, more dominant or the other is more dominant. And in order to increase the quality of our political analysis, we need to be indifferent of what we are using and we just need to approach it technically and see how we can analyze it in the most efficient way. So there are some, some more principles um, that can be neglected. I think these are the three most important um, political yeah, or concepts or principles of uh, political analysis. Um, very rudimentary. I mean, in uh, David as well, I am talking about political analysis. There is much more to it, but these are some basic or more general guiding principles um, that we can um, actually base our analysis on and achieve pretty neat results, I think. So I hope you like this um, episode uh, and I hope it's, uh, it's useful. Um, if so, I would be yeah, very happy if you could leave a like um, and also share this video. Or if you have any questions, comment um, or write me an email. Um, thank you very much for listening. I enjoyed this episode uh, a lot. Actually, um, if you want me to, to talk about uh, those kind of general principles a bit more, um, I'm more than happy to do so. But for the time being, uh, thank you for listening. And yeah, until next time for another episode of Acido Podcast. Thank you very much. Have a good one. And bye.